0: I want you to turn in your Bibles for tonight's message to Luke's Gospel chapter 18. Tonight and tomorrow, I'm going to do a very short, two-part series on spiritual vision. Tonight I'm talking about having your spiritual vision restored. Let me just now I've said that. I've got to say something else. I'm not saying that you don't have vision. I'm not saying there's something wrong with your spiritual eyesight. But I don't think there is anybody in the house tonight that does not want a renewed vision. And prophetically, God gives a new vision, a renewed vision for every season. Now, it's not just a trick of the calendar that takes us from one year to the next. Actually, there are times and seasons with God I'm going to encourage you tonight and tomorrow if you're with us, you can pick up the message up online as well also. I'm going to encourage you to ask God for fresh vision. And I want you from the very beginning when I put, uh, read the story, if you put yourself in the, in the shoes of this man who needed vision, and his deepest prayer, his cry to Jesus was, Lord, Restore my sight. I want to see. Okay, let's go right into the story. Luke 18, verses 35 to 43. As he, that is Jesus, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd go by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he kept on crying that. I won't repeat it because I think you got the message. (laughs) And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him, "Be, be quiet, be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. I wanted them to hear that in Notting Hill Gate tube station. (laughs) might wonder what's going on in that church. Verse 40. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Remarkable story. I remember years ago when I was first a Christian, my first venture into one of these Christian conferences where we pitched tents somewhere in some farmer's field, And we got together and had meetings. I thought heaven had come to earth. I met a friend of mine there who was blind, totally without sight. And we kind of clicked and hooked up and we had lots of conversations and new believer and he was a fairly new believer. I tell you, we knew everything. I remember us actually congratulating one another, saying how amazing we are. That such young Christians, God has given us such amazing insight. We were were able to solve all the problems, Calvinism, Arminianism, all the problems. We had it all sorted out in the first five minutes. Talk about being blind, but anyway. (laughs) One night we went for a walk. And it was quite dark out in the country. And our roles were switched. In daylight, I kind of helped guide him. And... uh, But when the lights went out, everything was dark. I was as blind as he was. But we kept on walking, everything was fine. He said, oh, Colin, be careful. There's a ditch just about two yards to your right. I said, that's creepy. How did you know that? And I realized then what many people who are partially sighted will tell you. That when you have an impairment, physical impairment of your vision... Your other faculties get developed. Your sense of smell, your sense of touch and hearing. And he could tell by the way that the ground was going that there was likely to be a ditch. Of course, we were by the side of the road, didn't take rocket science. But I had this extraordinary feeling of uh, being led by somebody who under those circumstances had more vision than I did. So much for physical blindness. When it comes to spiritual blindness I I must tell you nothing can compensate for that. If you are spiritually blind that's it. You don't develop any other senses. There's no spiritual braille. There are no spiritual talking books. If, If you're spiritually blind you have only one option and that's to cry out to Jesus for mercy and to ask him to restore your sight. So this story, which is a tremendous miracle story, and I'd love to tell you some miracle stories when I've actually seen and witnessed blind eyes open physically in in various places in the world, and those are wonderful stories. But, but, But tonight, I want us to draw some parallels between physical blindness that this man had and spiritual blindness or spiritual impairment of vision. First thing we notice is that spiritual blindness hinders your progress. It hinders your progress in your spiritual journey. We find him very, very poignant. We find him sitting by the roadside. He wasn't on the road. He wasn't on his way. He was sidelined, sitting rather passively, making no progress. Everybody else was on the road, busy going about business, but he could not. He just sat there. He was not on the road to life, and the road of life brings progress it brings purpose, it brings destiny, it gives you direction, it connects you with God's plan for your life, but if you are spiritually blind to it, you get left behind. You become a spectator, not a participator. Second thing we notice is spiritual blindness impoverishes you. He wasn't exactly doing nothing by the roadside. He was begging. He had no means of supporting himself. He was totally reliant because he was in a position of poverty. And I think that many, many people who may consider themselves anything but impoverished in the circumstances of life and without putting too fine a point, most people today in this audience and listening to me are in a place of wealth by comparison to many of the world's poor. You may not think you have much, but the truth is you go to some nations and countries and even some parts of our own country, our own city, and we discover what real poverty is. So we might think that we're not poor, but if we have lost our spiritual vision, then we are as poor as you can possibly be. Because it means That you're not being enriched by all that faith, which is the ability to see into the invisible realm. You are impoverished by all that faith does not bring to you. You have no exciting personal relationship with God. I mean... This man could achieve nothing for himself. He was totally dependent on others. Totally dependent on what others would give him. Don't be embarrassed. I I want to make this a real question. I don't want to put you too much on the spot, put too much pressure on you tonight. But I wonder if you can recognize yourself in that. I think most Christians today are in this kind of position. They depend on somebody else to feed them spiritually. And it's good to be fed spiritually. And it's important to be fed spiritually. But God wants you not to have second-hand knowledge. God doesn't just want to pass things down to you because you're dependent on others. God wants you in a personal relationship with him so that you know how to reach out and take food from the hands of the master. Many Christians today are receivers only. They only come to receive. They come like baby birds. Feed me, feed me, feed me. Feed me till I want no more. Keep on feeding me. Now, I, I'm kind of preach myself into a bit of a corner here because I'm not saying that you shouldn't be fed and you shouldn't come for food. In fact, at that particular uh, conference that I mentioned, I was introduced to the power of prophecy when this very, very strange, kind of very exuberant man called me out of a meeting, seemed to be able to read my mail, and said, this is what's going to happen to you, and prophesied over my life that one of the things that God would use me in, in the future, was in the teaching ministry. And that's what I'm doing tonight, after all those years. And so I'm not decrying the teaching ministry, because one of the ways that God will feed you is when you open your heart to receive from those whom he is appointed and, and, and blessed and gifted in that area of imparting knowledge and revelation and so on. But, but as well as that, receive from one another, we're to feed one another and encourage one another. But nothing of those two things, neither of those two things, replace the importance of you being face to face with Jesus and having enough spiritual insight, foresight, and sight to receive from him personally. So it hinders your spiritual progress. It impoverishes you. But also a lack of spiritual vision will exclude you from participating in the purposes of God. That to me, I find that scary. You see, he's sitting there by the roadside begging and he hears something. He doesn't know that Jesus has just passed by. He has to say, what's going on? What's happening? Are you you in that position sometimes? Everything's breaking out around you saying, what's going on? I don't know. I missed it. So I've missed something. God doesn't want you to miss anything. Over the last six months, the leaders of the church have been meeting together weekly. We've been seeking God's face, sensing that God was wanting to say something new. And the insight that we believe we've received, we prayed through it, it's not just a a declaration that comes from the senior leader saying, Thus saith the Lord. It's It's the fact that we've been sensitively listening together. And what we felt God say to us was that the next four years are going to be extremely significant. The next four years are four years where God wants his people to grow spiritually, learn how to reproduce themselves in others and to develop their influence in the wider world. And we have to grow up and get deeper than we've ever gone before and be ready for what is coming for the 2020s will bring tremendous challenges to our nation. At the end of the next decade, mark my words, Britain will look very, very different from the Britain today. And we have but a short window of opportunity to get out into the public place and make Jesus' presence felt. And God wants, you to, prepare, wants to prepare you for that. And so we, we don't want to miss what God's doing. Imagine, and I'm not promising this because I'm pretty sure that you are tired. Of the, of, the, of the kind of promises that are always give. This kind of Pentecostal brinkmanship. Get ready. It's happening soon. What? I don't know, but it's happening soon. It's just around the corner, folks. It's just around the corner. It's just around the corner. It's just around the corner. And you go round and round in circles looking for something that hasn't, is never coming. So I don't know. I feel in my bones that God has got good things. I really do, and that's not optimism, because that's that time of year. I feel in my bones that God has been preparing our hearts and stripping away a whole range of things that that used to be our favorite stuff. It's like the kind of food, our taste of food is changing. You know, somebody recently expressed very severe criticism of Kensington Temple and its teaching. This expression was this. You have turned away from the faith message of prosperity and well-being. And all you talk about is evangelism and discipleship. Shame on you. I thought, oh, wait, oh, wait, 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 wait. Stop, stop, stop. Let's, let's take some time out here. And I, I thought that's our purpose. That's what we're here for. And I, I want to tell you that... I love those ice cream messages. I love the thought of God moving in supernatural power. I love those ideas and, and we've experienced them. But God wants you to deepen your faith and understand that it has to be all the way with the cross in front of you and the world behind you. Because that is what Christianity is. In many ways we have to be weaned off that baby food and that baby talk. And and, and I believe as we go down that route, we will discover what it really means when he lays bare his arm and fights for us and manifests himself through us. We ain't seen nothing yet. Nothing could be worse than missing Jesus and allowing him to pass you by without even realizing it. Do you know if you miss him, you miss out on everything? I strongly suspect that Jesus will be passing by in 2017. Don't miss him. Get your vision back. So how do you regain your spiritual vision? Let's have a look at this man. Put yourself in his shoes. Jesus is passing by. Can you imagine what they began to do on the inside of him? So the first thing he did was inquire. Something's happening. I sense it. I hear it. What's happening? What's going on? And he inquired of those who had vision. That's the best place to start. Inquire of those who have vision. I'm not just talking about the the, the prophets and the apostles and so forth. Thank God for them. I'm, I'm talking about sensitive believers because part of your spiritual birthright is your ability to see the Lord. Part of your spiritual birthright is to have in you the spirit of wisdom and revelation to acknowledge Him. That's what it means to be a Christian. You have the Holy Spirit. Now we're back in the Old Testament not everybody could know the Lord personally. That's why the mark of the new covenant was at, at that time you won't need anybody to teach you about knowing God you like having a second-hand knowledge of Him. You you won't have to go to the priest to inquire about this. You won't have to go to the prophets to find out about that. The prophetic ministry and teaching ministry will continue, but you will have the Holy Spirit in you, and that anointing which you have is an anointing that abides, and that anointing, what? Teaches you all things. So, but it's not wrong to go to people and say, listen, what, what, what do you think God's saying? What are you seeing? What are you hearing? Inquire. What's happening? Begin to ask questions. We the primary 12 leaders have been spending a lot of time on this, and, and they should be absolute experts in 2020 vision. They, can, they should be now so trained as spiritual ophthalmists. Op- 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 people help check your eyes. Those people. All right. Okay, it's getting late. All right. And they should give you a spiritual eye test very, very quickly and easily. And, And to start to inquire, okay, so you've been seeking God for yourselves personally, first of all, but also seeking to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. What is he saying? And it's not like you have to accept that and say, yeah, the, the leaders say this, therefore we accept it. You go to the secret place and you check it out and you let God confirm to you. You let God speak to you. Now, here it is, very, very important point. What we're about to present to you in the next few weeks, starting on Wednesday the 11th of January, then thir- Friday the 13th, Saturday the 14th, is the, the meat of the, on the bones of the 2020 vision. And we, we have received a vision from God for every single one of you and for all of us together in major areas of our lives. And, but there is no such thing when it comes to spiritual vision as one size fits all. I don't know if you what you got for Christmas. Did you get one of those one size fits all jumpers? Um, they don't know your size, so they send you a jumper. And uh, you, you you write back and you say... Thank you, uh, but I wish you hadn't. No, you shouldn't have. That's what you would say. And none of that one-size-fits-all really works because either it's sort of just hanging off you or it, um, okay, let's not go there. All right. So it's very, very rare that off-the-peg vision works. That's why we don't go here and there and take somebody else's vision and and play with it. We we, we hear God for ourselves. We're humble enough and meek enough to listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches, not just to Kensington Temple as if we're the only thing. And We hear God together. But when you line up with that corporate vision and God takes it, works it out in your life personally, you also have a personal vision that will impact every area of your life. It's just basically the same principle where Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What is your eye focused on? What do you set on in 2017? Is it, okay, this is the year by faith, by grace, by, by, by hook, by crook, I'm gonna get married, Jesus. Is that it? <laughs> too small, your vision's too small. Or, you know, this year, this year, I am going to, buy my, I'm going to buy my house. What house? That one. I'm going to buy my house. I'm going to buy my house. It's not for sale. I'm going to buy it anyway. You've got no money. I'm going to buy it anyway. Good things. Good things. But do you know that you chase those things and you missed everything? You put God first and you've been in a place where you are, you're concerned about His righteousness, in other words, going the way that is right that God shows you, you can be sure that all those things will find their place. Amen, amen and amen. amen. So, inquire of the Lord what's happening. Secondly, recognize that you need fresh vision. It's very, very hard. Very, very hard. Even some of the personal thoughts I've had to fight over this. For me to say that we spent six months last year, well, this year, it's not quite last year, but in a moment. The Kensetham leaders have got together saying, God, give us vision! And I kind of say, wait a bit, don't say that too loud. Because they're going to pick up the phone and say, did you hear Kensington Temple has no vision? Old glory. Kensington Temple's lost its vision. But I will not allow that fleshly pride to get in the way. Because I know that I need and we need a fresh vision to match the season and the purposes of God for now yesterday's vision doesn't work. I've got a a, a secret, it's a very shameful secret, so never mind, I'll get it off my chest. I find it very hard to throw things away. Very, very hard. So, I was going to say, if you saw my wardrobe, you will never see. So Don't even think of going there. I have clothes which, if I hang on for another 20 years, they might come back into fashion. But will they fit? And the man comes and says, oh, you need to, you need to give, give that away to charity. I say, yes, I, I, yes but you, it, that means so much to me. And I don't wear them. Just as yesterday's clothes don't work for you now, yesterday's vision doesn't work for you today. His mercies are new. His mercies are new. So when he was crying out to God for mercy, he wasn't groveling in the dirt and saying, oh, I'm such a miserable person. and If I make myself so low that everybody can step on me, maybe you will have pity on me. No, 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 no. This isn't worm theology. He knew that there is nothing that we can demand from God by way of entitlement. Everything comes by grace, and the only way when we need something supernatural that we have no ability within ourselves to manufacture or produce, and frankly, the stuff that we can manufacture and produce isn't going to make a big difference. So when we need something supernatural, we know it is only by the grace of God and so we say, God, I want to go through your door of mercy. So he cries out, have mercy on me, son of David. What is son of David? It was a messianic title. So he was recognizing that this was Messiah, but I want to say his vision of Jesus was very, very limited. Because even Jesus criticized this title, Say, how come can Messiah be son of David when David calls him his Lord. So in a way his understanding of Jesus was very limited but he's gonna go a whole lot further. Now maybe that's where many of us tonight need a miracle. We need our vision of Jesus expanded to understand who he really is. I guess that everybody here tonight Even if you may not say, well, you know, I really know this Jesus you're talking about personally, you may know something about him. But I want you to expand your vision tonight. I want you to understand he's not just the son of David. He is the Lord of glory. I want you to understand that his main mission on this planet was to come and bring the kingdom, demonstrate the kingdom, and die and rise again so the kingdom could come in you. And you need him in your life. In a very real and personal way. And tonight, it's time. Don't put it off any longer. Holy Spirit, open my eyes. Let me see who Jesus really is. And I can receive him in all his splendor and all his glory. But he cries out for mercy because he recognizes his need. And it's not just that he needs something. You may say, well, I need a job. Okay, well, probably, hopefully. to pray go out and find one. But this, what he needed, nobody could supply, only the master. I like that. I've got to be very careful what I say, because when I say I like it, I don't like it at the time. I like it afterwards. But as gonna say, I was going to say, I started so I'll finish. This is, after all, his mastermind, isn't it? I've started so I finish, that I love being in that place when I haven't a clue what to do next, what to say next, where I am totally dependent on God. And my favorite prayer of all is, oh God, do now what only you can do. And this isn't humiliation, it's just plain common sense. To understand that there are things in our life like spiritual vision. You can't manufacture it. You need a miracle. Lord, I want to see. So he calls out for mercy. Then he meets Jesus. and, and, And he knew he was blind. He was desperate to see. He knew only God could help him. And he knew vision was a supernatural thing. So he begins to cry out. In desperate faith. Now, there are two kinds of faith, aren't there? There's a kind of faith that rests. You know, the resting faith. Don't rest too much because you will fall asleep and it's nearly midnight. It's where you say, Lord, I am trusting in you. I'm resting in you. And sometimes in the most complicated circumstances where nothing makes sense and you don't understand you might cry out to God or cry yourself to sleep every night, which could be the same thing. And you just rest in in his peace. Then there's another kind of faith, which is a more aggressive kind of faith. And it is nearly always, in my experience anyway, born out of desperation when there is nowhere to turn but to Him. Nowhere to look but up. And what is interesting to me is that this is the kind of desperation that God wants us to feel. Not because we haven't had this prayer answered or we're still looking for that and God hasn't done it yet and we're getting desperate. But the desperation, and could, could, could you allow God to even tonight, to ignite this desperation in you? The desperation of lack of spiritual vision. Why is that so important? I, I don't think anybody, unless you saw the preview, came in tonight thinking, oh my, 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 I'm desperate, I'm desperate! you desperate, I'm desperate, I need more vision. But that's what the word of God will do tonight, stir you up. So let me say again, I'm not saying you have no vision. But maybe your vision needs to be deepened. I'm not saying you have no vision at all. Maybe your vision needs to be expanded. I'm not saying you have no vision. Maybe your vision needs to be more precisely defined. So that you know exactly what you're going for. I don't believe in New Year's resolutions. I've already broken mine, so I'm not going to (laughs) bother. But I believe in New Year revolutions. A revolution in our thinking, a revolution in our understanding. I can't do it all tonight, but in the next few weeks, starting tomorrow, I'm going to unpack some areas of your life to say, where is your spiritual vision for 2017 and on into the years that lie ahead? Where is your spiritual vision concerning your own spiritual growth? Have you got a vision for your spiritual growth? Well, no. I, I, I come, I go, I read, I sleep, I, but no, no. What are you going for? What area of your life where has God has put his finger on saying, I want to see you grow in this area? I want to see you deepen in your experience of me. And I believe if you you spend time in the presence of God, He will show you. I'm not asking you to write a list of all your faults. There aren't enough numbers in in the numeric system for that. And that's the devil's game. You start saying, oh, this is wrong, that's wrong, the other's wrong. By the time you finish, you're so depressed. You don't put your eyes on your sins, your faults, your failings. You put your eyes on Jesus and allow him to highlight an area of your life that you, you're going to say, by your help, by your grace, Jesus, I have a vision to see this happen in my life. What is it for you? Is it getting back to the secret place? Is it having a daily disciplined which soon becomes a delightful devotional life? Is it that you say, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nail this by the grace of God. I'm not going to do my own strength. By the Holy Spirit, I'm going to put to death that stuff in me that has been hindering me so I can run the race. What is it? Now, you, you don't become all bitter and twisted and inward-looking and introspective. Don't, don't, don't do that. In fact, in Revival Times, I show you how to avoid that. Don't, don't do that. But let God speak to you, let other people speak to you, Uh, and and they they might share with you some suggestions, and you can share with them, not to accuse, but to be in it together. Spiritual growth, what are your spiritual maturity goals personally for this coming year? What has God spoken to you about? Say, well, you know, I've got financial goals. Yeah, good for you. Well, I, I've got career goals, and good for you. I've got study education goals. Good. I've got holiday goals. Most people spend more time planning for their holiday, whether the holiday comes or not. Spend time for the holiday than they do about God. What part of your kingdom is going to be more fully expressed to me as a result of me being with you in 2017? Secondly, what, what about what about some goals in terms of Following Jesus when he said this is my father's will and by this is he glorified that you bear much fruit and your fruit remains. That first of all is the fruit of Jesus produced in your life but then it's also the fruit of Jesus being reproduced from you as you in quotes give birth to other believers. God has not called you to abide alone. But if you refuse to die, you will abide abide alone. But if you die, you will bring forth much fruit. A a fruitful Christian, you shouldn't have to say that. You should just say a Christian equals fruitful. But God's people are becoming increasingly barren and unfruitful for many reasons. Partly, it's because of fear concerning reprisals, even the threat of losing your job. Well, we have a document produced by the Evangelical Alliance and the Lawyers' Christian Fellowship. Oh, that warms my heart when I hear about Christian lawyers who are able to stand up and say, read this. These are your legal rights. And those legal rights, you're going to have to use them or lose them. This is a very harsh warning tonight. I hope you get it in the right spirit. Because the more we back down to the spirit of fear and intimidation, the more we push to the margins of society, leaving the door wide open for anti-Christ and anti-God philosophies and viewpoints to take over. Have you noticed Britain is being reconstructed? Yes, it is. Whatever happened over Brexit, people are panicking. Who are we now? We've left Europe. No, you haven't left Europe. We're still part of Europe. We've just voted to leave the European Union. What that means now is Britain has to say, well, who are we in relation to what are our values? We didn't have to think for ourselves before. Brussels told us everything. Now we have to say, what do we really believe? What's our nation all about? And there are people, even as I speak, in the corridors of power, producing their documents and their plans and their ideas of constructing a new humanist, secular Britain. And we have to say, no, not allowed. We are a Christian nation, meaning everything that we have that is valuable, comes from our Christian heritage. And I don't believe that we should become, you know, kind of like spiritual despots and start dictating to everybody else. But we must stand firm on the values of this nation which many of them have derived from the person of Jesus. And so, spiritual growth numerical growth, but also what, what goals do you have for increasing your influence as a believer and as a community of believers out there in the real world, the wider community? And we have so much to offer, so much of value, particularly if we learn how to serve, serve others. How to love them. I mean genuinely love them. Love them enough to speak the truth. But love them enough not just to tell them good news, but be good news. To engage. Do you have any goals in that area? Personally? What? When, you, when you begin to see God, what's my future? Which direction should, am I going to go in God? What do you want for me? The, the chances are, when you hear from him, he'll place you in A situation where you will be able to look back on that and say, I was called to that position for such a time as this. And suddenly the whole of your life becomes unified. It's all about loving Jesus and serving Jesus. Every day of your life. It's not about the church wanting more of your time. It's Jesus saying, I own all of your time and how you serve me at home, how you serve me when you are recreating, involved in whatever you do for relaxation, entertainment, sports. When you're at work, when you're at college, it's all about loving and glorifying him. So as Jesus passes by, he begins to cry out in desperate faith, Lord, I want to see Interesting how Jesus didn't heal him until he heard him specifically, until he said it out. I mean, it, it sounds obvious. A blind man says, Have mercy on me, have mercy on me. What do you want me to do for you? It seems like a dumb question. And even if it was a legitimate question, because he may have said, What, well, you know, give me 10 bucks, please he may not have been that desperate to change. But Jesus would have known that. So the question that Jesus asked was not for his own development of his own information. He had the man say it out. Because when you learn to speak out, very specifically, what you want from God, and when that lines up, With his will and plan for your life, something is ignited. Here's my chance, he said. What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. I want my vision back. And Jesus said, you got it. It, Let it be done to you as you have believed and as you have spoken spiritual vision is all about faith you know has to do with the invisible and you need special eyes to see the invisible I'm going to come to a final point in a moment where I want us to close up before we move into the next year but can you see the difference His vision is restored. And what does he do? He's no longer by the road begging. He's on the road with Jesus. Joining the purposes of God. Joining the celebration. And the difference between the beggar by the roadside and the singing saint by Jesus' side is one of spiritual vision I'm going to speak tomorrow more, more on this but I want to, I'm going to leave, leave you with this, with this final thought it's so obvious but I want you to get it vision comes by being with Jesus did you notice that? Well, you could hardly fail to notice it. It's so noticeable that you probably even didn't notice it. This man received his sight when he met with Jesus. When he spent time with Jesus. Now I could give you, and Amanda knows the rows and rows of notes, 10 ways of 17 variations of 55 ways of discovering how to get your vision back but there's only really one way. Spend time with Him. Did you hear me? Spend time with Him. Let nothing, nothing, come in the way of that. And and believe me, if you've already found it out for yourself, the moment you'd say, I'm going to spend time with Jesus, it seems as if that devil himself and 10,000 demons say, oh yeah, we'll see about that. But you need to be so committed to spending time in the presence of God that wild horses would not... Pull you away. No wild demon will pull you away because you say, I want my spiritual vision and Jesus is the one who will give it to me. And, and only when you are desperate enough to cling to him for this, you know, if you've got a, another kind of need—a physical need, a financial need, an emotional need, a relational need, you, you will cling to Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But, but this, is, this is something different. Do you understand me? This is something different. This is about a new way of reforming the way we live for God. Most times we could stop here and say, what do you need from Jesus? Yes, I see that hand. You need a husband. I see the other hand. Male, female, get on with it. okay? And you start to pronounce and you start to move at ministering at the level of these needs. And that's important. And don't forget this is a healing miracle that we're talking about. But this man's desperation speaks of a deeper, more urgent desperation, and that is the desperation to have spiritual vision in a world that is failing for the lack of it. Do you think tonight you could step into that place spiritually? Where you say, God, above everything else that I could cry out to you for in these closing moments of mm, 2016... This is the one thing I'm going to cry out for. Lord, I want to see. When you have fresh vision, things become clear. Even if it's just the one thing he needs you to know now is what is the next step and in which direction. Wow, you know that. And you're going somewhere. So, every head bowed, every eye closed. Only the Holy Spirit can stir up in your heart right now a deep desire that might even intensify into a desperation of spirit in which you say, Lord, I want to see.